You're listening to The Deadly Dose, hosted by Harini Bott and Megan Gesner. What's up, Poison Pals? This is Megan here talking into your ear holes. Unfortunately, Harini is out sick with a pretty bad cough, so she will not be joining me on this recording. She will not be joining us for our very last episode of our Spooktober series, which is such a bummer because I know for a fact that the topic I'm going to talk about today would have definitely scared her out of her pantaloons. But uh, I did get a chance to talk to her a little bit before I recorded just to get some, just to ask her some questions uh, about her experience with the topic soon to be uh, shared. But yeah, kind of, it's a bummer. We miss you, Harini. Hope you're feeling better. And I hope that I I do you good on this episode today. Yeah, so it's just going to be me. And you guys, Poison Pals listening, and hopefully I can give you that satisfying chill down your spine in this final episode of October. So I wanted to choose a topic that was simultaneously spooky and nostalgic. Spooky, of course, because duh, we're about to celebrate Halloween-y. But I wanted to pull something nostalgic because I think that there is something extra frightening about things that scared us as children because as children we're so much more impressionable and we are still understanding what skepticism means and I feel like there are things in our childhood that we all experience that might still freak us out as adults today maybe that doesn't this won't apply to all of you but I think that if you have an inclination to being into the paranormal or spirits and kind of being spooked by that, then hopefully this will speak to you. But today I wanted to talk about the ritual of summoning Bloody Mary and how that is a game that so many of us are probably familiar with, a game that probably dominated our lives at every sleepover. And and I wanted to look into it because I realized that it is playing Bloody Mary is so memorable to me. Like I can remember exactly where I was at when I played it. Maybe I don't remember who I was with, but like I remember all the instructions I was given to summon her and all that. And I think looking back on it now, like after years of forgetting about it, because you grow up, you obviously become you recognize skepticism and you're like, oh, no, no, of course nothing would happen, blah, blah, blah. And so there's no lingering curiosity about the urban legend that is Bloody Mary. But I thought about it and I was like, I want to know, like, where did it come from? How did so many different people at the same time in their lives know about this ritual or this game? And Like, who taught it? Who passed it down (laughs) generations after generations? Because I know for a fact, Bloody Mary was not taught to me by my family members. Bloody Mary was taught to me by my peers. And it's like, where did they learn it from? So one thing that I wanted to start with was just going over, you know, remembering my experience and then also sharing how Harini remembers her experience of being introduced to Bloody Mary. But I can recall, I can recall two specific instances of playing Bloody Mary. The first time is when I was introduced to it. And I was probably in third grade, which puts me at the age of like eight or nine. And I remember I was with like a group of friends at school and someone in the group, I would not know these people now. I don't even remember. They're literally like faceless to me at this point. But someone in the group was like, hey, have you guys played Bloody Mary or let's go play Bloody Mary? Someone, you know, is the ringleader and is like, let's go play Bloody Mary in the bathroom. So we literally were at we're in broad daylight at school, but we go to the bathroom and the stalls are empty. And one of them instructs 
gives the instruction of like, okay, you're going to go in the bathroom. We're going to turn the lights off. You're going to spin three times. And as you spin three times, you're going to say Bloody Mary three times with each spin. And then on the third spin, you're supposed to turn around and look in the mirror. And then, you know, of course, the question is like, oh, what's supposed to happen when you look in the mirror? And of course, you're already kind of apprehensive because the game is called Bloody Mary. And at this day, at this age, children already recognize that blood is possibly a sign of something negative to come or it's you know blood is associated with like a negative thing or a negative feeling and so so yeah you you naturally ask okay what what am I supposed to expect in the mirror and you know someone in the group says if you do it right a woman will appear in the mirror and she's covered in blood or scratches or some derivative of that and and that's pretty much it and you know there's this burning feeling of like, why would I want to summon that at all? Why would anybody want to play this game at all? But because it's literally a group of friends and children, we are so vulnerable and also so vicious at the same time that we, one, pressure <laughs> other pressure our friends to do this because we've done it. And we, we're also learning at this age, this is an age where kids really learn about um, understanding fear, but also trying to show bravery at the same time. It's a very complex, com- complicated age for kids. So there's that feeling of being like, why would I want to do this? But at the same time, like, well... I guess I'll do it so I can show my stock to my friend group. You know what I mean? Like, okay, everyone else has done it. So like, I can't chicken out. But now looking back at it, I realize every one of us was little chicken shits. And we're all trying to show that like, I'm not afraid of anything. There's nothing going to happen. But I know for a fact, every one of us who did it probably ran out of the bathroom screaming and giggling and all that. So anyway, that's how I remember it. I remember it being in the bathroom stalls. There is one friend by the light switch. And the rest of the group was outside because you had to be in the bathroom alone, technically. And I think I did it, but the girl didn't turn off the light. I'm pretty sure she left the light on. Nothing happened, but I also will admit that like I definitely didn't do it properly on purpose because I didn't want anything to happen. I kind of fudged it. Um, and then I walked outside and was like, yeah, yeah, playing a cool like I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. Um, so that was my first experience with playing Blood Mary. And then I played it probably one other time. At least that's what I remember one other time with a totally different friend group. Um, these were girls in my neighborhood and we had a sleepover and yeah, one of them was like, let's, let's play Bloody Mary. And you would go to the bathroom. We, we went to the bathroom. There was a candle lit in the bathroom this time. And we went in one by one to do it. I think I did the same thing. I didn't, um really do it fully and before I think it was like even before I turned the third time I would like I was like half turning the third time and then not even looking in the mirror and then like running out of the bathroom and being like yeah I did it okay done <laughs> um so that's what I recall and then I I asked Harini I was like Harini how do you remember playing Bloody Mary or like how do you remember who introduced it to you all that and her story is almost identical um she says that well she was a little older she was in middle school but it was at a sleepover her friends introduced it to her and she was given the same exact instruction turn three times say bloody mary every time you turn and then you're supposed to look in the mirror and you'll see like a woman in the mirror with blood on her face or whatever and yeah you had to do it in the bathroom too like it's specifically you have to do it in the bathroom with the lights off which I think is kind of funny that some people tell the story of like it's you have to be in the bathroom with the lights off and it's like how would you see anything in the mirror if the lights are off the logic does not make sense but you know we're kids and we um, we don't understand logic sometimes so that's what um Harini remembers And one thing that I've really enjoyed about doing the research on this urban legend is that it is something that is predominantly done by young girls. I mean, before before looking into it, I already kind of felt that way because in anecdotally for myself, I only ever did it with girls. Um, And to be fair, I didn't have any true guy friends until probably middle school and onwards and I never had co-ed sleepovers anyway but I did text a friend literally right as I was about to record and I 
and I asked her, I, was, I asked her about her own experience. And she did say that she, she there, she did have a co-ed sleepover. So there was one dude that she can speak of that participated in Bloody Mary. But um, just based on the literature that's out there about the urban legend and playing the game Bloody Mary, or as some would call it, playing, doing the ritual of summoning Bloody Mary. Yeah, it's something that mostly young girls do. And it, it at a very specific age, like ages 9 to 12, or you can even expand that, 8 to 13. There's a paper I came across published in 1998 in a journal called the Western Folklore. It's uh, the title of the article is called Bloody Mary in the Mirror, a ritual reflection of prepubescent anxiety written by Alan Dundist, who is a folklorist at the university or at the time. I I didn't do further research on this guy, but um, it seems like he was a folklorist at the at Cal Berkeley. And fun fact, folklorists is an actual thing it's a it's people who study folklore and the term for this the study the the scientific study of folklore is folkloristics so there you go there's some new words for you but he in this paper he argues that bloody mary has actually always been a uh, maybe euphemism is not the right word but oh um a way to tell young women about (laughs) about their coming menstruation about um about them getting their their periods and starting menses and i i think it's i i actually encourage you guys to read the paper because i actually laughed at a lot of it um i think that some of the things he says are extremely dated in regards to how he feels culturally about periods and how they're represented throughout history and stuff but I think it's an interesting theory that the the story of Bloody Mary or even playing playing the game is actually was always supposed to be a way for girls to learn about like what a period is or their periods coming. Do I agree with that? I personally don't. And he even says this in his article. He's like, based on the interviews we did, most people would not agree because when all these young girls played Bloody Mary. They never once thought about their period, which would they, which they would then get later on down the line. And I felt similarly. I was like, never did I ever once think about my period. Even when I got it, I never thought back to Bloody Mary and thought like, oh yeah, that was probably about women getting their periods. Mm, so, so I don't necessarily agree with him, but it's definitely an interesting article. And I think that there are some treasures in this article that I'll share with you just in terms of the the woman that he interviews, the young woman that he interviews in regards to like their experience um, playing Bloody Mary and how it can vary, but also be very similar across different experiences. But before that, let's talk about, let's talk about the origin of Bloody Mary. Who is Bloody Mary? Bloody Mary even a real person? And when did stories of Bloody Mary, uh, when did the urban legend start to come alive? Okay, so I'll give the short answers very quickly. Uh, Super unsatisfying. And I hope that if anyone else takes an interest in researching this, they can find me an actual explicit answer. But the short version is, we don't know when the urban legend of summoning bloody mary started there's not an exact timeline or there's not an exact event or piece of literature in place that specifically states bloody mary and yeah we don't know who bloody mary is actually referring to Uh, There are some theories as to who it might be in reference to the first thought that usually comes to mind is bloody mary aka queen mary a.k.a. Henry VIII's daughter, who ended up ruling over England after he passed away. Also, Queen Elizabeth's, Elizabeth I, of course, duh. Queen Elizabeth's stepsister, not stepsister, half-sister. Queen Mary was given the nickname Bloody Mary during her reign because in her efforts to reintroduce Catholicism back into England, 
or um, to tie Catholicism back to the crown because her, Henry VIII, some some England history for you, Henry VIII, he ended up separating from the Catholic Church and creating the Church of England. And so when he passed and Mary ended up taking the throne, she was like, eh, nope, no more Church of England. <laughs> We're going to go back to Catholicism. And as part of that movement, she rounded up a bunch of Protestants and burned them at the stake. And that is why she gets the term Bloody Mary. Another detail here uh, is that uh, the the game of Bloody Mary, in some variations of it, it's there's in some variations of it, instead of saying Bloody Mary three times, you say, I have your baby Bloody Mary. And, in, and people believe that that is in reference to Queen Mary because she never successfully had an heir or, you know, birthed an heir to the throne. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, so they think that because she never had a baby, that makes sense that this game, I have your baby, Bloody Mary, is in, in reference to her. So that's one theory as to who the, this ritual might be summoning. Another possible theory is that Bloody Mary is in reference to Elizabeth Bathory or Elizabeth Bathory. Elizabeth Bathory was, she was a real woman. She was a Hungarian countess that lived in the late 1500s to early 1600s. And it is believed that she killed as many as 650 women and girls during the 54 years she was alive. So I'm just going to read straight from the source article that I learned about her from. This is from this is from the howstuffworks.com history subsection. Um, the article is called Was Countess Elizabeth Bathory the World's Most Prolific Serial Killer by Josh Clark and Catherine Whitburn. And I'm gonna read it to you in the spookiest voice. That's just whispering, but I'm gonna try to read it in a spooky way to really like get you guys shivering or I don't know. <laughs> okay, here we go. Here we go. Okay. Elizabeth Bathory, the woman who came to be known as the Blood Countess, was born into Hungarian nobility in 1560. She was well-educated at the time, that's a rarity for girls, and could speak several languages. She also seems to have suffered from fits and outbursts of rage, possibly even epilepsy. From an early age, she witnessed her father's officers torture the peasantry who lived near their family's estate. Young Elizabeth is said to have seen a captured thief being sewn into the stomach of a dying horse and left to perish. So obviously this is the setup of why she might have ended up killing so many people. Um, it seems like she had a natural temperament that was questionable plus she witnessed horrible treatment of other human beings at her family's hands at a young age. So that might have made her think that treating people terribly was okay. Okay, continuing. Bathory married a soldier named Ferenc Nadazdi at the age of 15. Because he was a soldier, he spent most of his time away from the house. There's speculation that Nadazdi may have taught his wife new torture methods, while other researchers believe he was ignorant of her actions. What's agreed upon is that Bathory practiced most of her crimes in his absence and that the crimes got worse after he died in 1604. Bathory had a penchant for torturing young girls in particular. The acts she committed ranged from driving needles through her servants' lips and fingernails to leaving her victims naked in the snow, dousing them with water and letting them freeze to death, to covering her victims with honey, tying them up, and leaving them to be attacked by ants and bees. Perhaps the most notorious legend about Bathory is that she bathed in her victim's blood. Inevitably, this led to rumors that she was a vampire. She reportedly claimed to use virgin blood to keep her skin young. She wanted to remain beautiful for her husband. But this story was first published in 1729 by a Hungarian priest long after Bathory's death. So this actually makes sense in terms of the vampire accusations, because as we can recall from our first episode in this year's Spooktober series, Harini's coverage of vampires and where they came from, this, this timeline would align with when people in Eastern European countries started to believe in vampires. So this all makes sense. I, I think this like historically, yeah, this lines up. Anyways, sadly, 
It wasn't until Bathory moved from killing peasant girls to minor noblewomen that authorities finally got involved. It is believed that her own cousin, a Count Georgi Thorzo, raided her castle. This was in 1610. He raided her castle and reportedly surprised her while she was in the act of torturing someone who was imprisoned in her home. She, uh, once she was arrested, it came out that she even employed her servants to participate in the torture or at least do her bidding of burying bodies, you know, burying victims and denying anybody that might have been killed. Denying... (laughs) if she ever killed anyone. The number of bodies they admitted to burying varied between 36 and 51 people. Three of the servants were sentenced to death and executed. One witness named Susanna testified that Bathory kept a registry of her murders and that it numbered 650, although the ledger was never found. I feel like that's a very high number, and I mean... I don't know. I I feel like that's doubtful. I can believe maybe killing 36 people, especially if she has power over the townspeople and peasants and, you know, whatever. But I just feel like 650 is a lot. But anyway, that's the story of Elizabeth Bathory. And I feel like the only true reason why she might be affiliated with Bloody Mary is because she it is believed that she bathed in blood and obviously killed a bunch of people. And also that all these people were mostly young women. Um, So I think that's probably why she's tied to the Bloody Mary story. But there's no proof that she's the actual inspiration for Bloody Mary. The last person that might have been the inspiration for Bloody Mary is a woman by the name of Mary Worth. Also a real person. Mary Worth was a local of Wadsworth, Illinois. And she was part of the Reverse Underground Railroad. And what that means is she was on the side of slavers, essentially. Like anyone who was trying to escape to the north via the Underground Railroad, she would be there to trick them, capture them, and bring them back to the slavers. Yeah, uh, this is from allthatisinteresting.com. Quote, she'd bring in slaves under false pretenses to send them back down south and make some money. That was a quote from Bob Jensen, who's a paranormal investigator and the leader of Lake County's Ghostland Society, told, this is what he told the Lake County Journal, Jensen explained that Mary Worth also tortured and killed escaped slaves as part of her, quote, witchy rituals. Eventually, the local townspeople found out and killed her, either by burning her at the stake or by lynching her. And that's really all there is available about Mary Worth. While again, there's no proof that the game is inspired by Mary Worth, but I do feel like it's plausible given the time period that she existed in. Like she lived in the mid 1800s. This was during the Civil War. She was an active player on the Confederate side. And I can, I see it as plausible that this is an urban legend that did come out of the Civil War. Like, I wonder if the story of Mary Worth is like a horror story or a ghost story that was passed on um, from freed African-Americans, passed down through generations, and it somehow just trickled over time to all children. So that's a theory that I have, but I didn't, I was bad and didn't look to test my theory to look into that further. At the end of the day, the reason why Mary Worth is suspected to be a possible influence for Bloody Mary is because in another variation of Bloody Mary, it's also the game of Bloody Mary is also was also called the Mary Worth ritual back in the 70s. So yeah, I don't know why. It also just so happened that Mary Worth was a very popular comic strip in the 1960s that had nothing to do with the Mary Worth from the Civil War era. I think the comic strip was about like an elderly woman who was helpful. Um, But based on what I read, it doesn't seem like the comic strip was an influence for the Mary Worth rituals either. So anyway, that's a little bit of history for you. Now I'm going to hit you with some science. Okay, so There is actual phenomena that happens when someone looks in a a reflective surface or a mirror in a dimly lit room. Throughout history, there are accounts of people saying that they 
see things shift in their reflection or they see a person pop up in their reflection. And the reason for this is because when you are in a dimly lit room, and we're going to use this example of like using using a candle in a room and looking at a reflective surface. So the candle itself is already flickering, right? So that's going to be some type of visual stimulation. But according to Wikipedia, I'm sorry, I yes, I use Wikipedia because, you know, it's an urban legend and like, uh, at the end of the day, there's not a lot of stock in it. Sorry, sorry. But anyway, according to Wikipedia, staring into a mirror in a dimly lit room for a prolonged period period can cause one to hallucinate. Facial features may appear to melt, distort, disappear, and rotate, while other hallucinatory elements, such as animal or strange faces, may appear. Giovanni Caputo of the University of Urbino writes that this phenomenon, which he calls the, quote, strange face illusion, end quote, is believed to be a consequence of a, quote, dissociative identity effect, end quote, which causes the brain's facial recognition system to misfire in a currently unidentified way. Other possible explanations for the phenomenon include illusions attributed, at least partially, to the perceptual effects of Troxler's fading and possibly self-hypnosis or apophenia. Okay, so Troxler's fading is an optical illusion that happens when you stare at a point and there's stimulus encircling that point. You can also Wikipedia this that gives you this example that I'm about to tell you. Exactly. But basically, if there's a singular point and around it is visual stimulus, if you stare at that point long enough, the visual stimulus will seem like it disappears and you're just looking at a blank background, essentially. Um, That's the best way I can explain Troxer's fading. But if you want to see a real example of it, just go onto Wikipedia. They have like a GIF of what I just explained. Um, and then apophenia. Apophenia is the phenomenon that happens when when you've been primed so much to think something is happening, you will associate it with what might actually biologically be happening. So for example, if you're in a dimly lit room and if you're in a dimly lit room and um, you've been primed to think, oh, there's going to be a woman or some sort of visage that appears behind me or in front of me or in the reflection, you might believe that that is actually happening but what's actually happening is just like the the your brain is being stimulated by different things so you're you're more likely to believe like this hallucination is real or is happening um i hope that makes sense so there is kind of a scientific explanation for if you were to do the bloody mary ritual and you know, miraculously, you did somehow conjure up some sort of image of a woman in the mirror or whatever. Um, there, you know, it's possible that it was just your brain freaking out due to the, the stimulus of the Troxler's fading effect, or you're even self self hypnotizing. You're you're hypnotizing yourself. One thing that I should have said earlier, as part of like the history of Bloody Mary, again, while we don't know the actual time period that it originated, there was a classic divination ritual meaning like a or it's kind of like fortune telling like a fortune telling ritual that young women used to do in the let's say the 1800s looks like the 1800s um based on the image i'm looking at but um women would young women would walk up a set of stairs backwards in a dimly lit house with a burning candle in one hand and a hand mirror in the other hand. So you have to have a lot of coordination to even do this ritual. But you would walk up the stairs backwards with these things in your hand. And oh, and this would typically be done on Halloween or Hallow's Eve, basically when the veil between the spirit world and the living world disappears and you become closer to the spirit world, essentially. If you did this ritual on Halloween, you might either see a man's face in the mirror and that was an indication of like you're gonna get married like you this is your potential future spouse like this is your future spouse you're seeing in the mirror or if things went wrong you would see a skull or the grim reaper in the mirror which was supposed to tell you that you were going to die before you got married which makes me laugh because i'm like I'm probably going to die but die before I get married, but I'm going to die of old age. You know what I'm saying? Like they're at during this time in the 1800s, they're like, "Oh no, I'm going to die young and unmarried." But I'm like, "Girl, you might have a very full life 
and die with no husband at an old age and that's okay but who am i kidding like medicine was not as involved back then so they probably did die young anyway yeah and then here's one last fun fact one last fun fact that there's actually a specific term for using mirrors uh for divination practices and that word is called catoptromancy and catoptromancy is very specifically using a mirror or a reflection to scry into the future or uh, tell a fortune and if you don't know what scry is this is also a new term that i learned lots of lots of new words in this uh, episode but scrying is it's basically peering or seeing or peeping into a medium in the hope of detecting significant messages or visions. So like looking into a crystal ball is a type of scrying. Looking into a mirror is a type of scrying. Looking into a reflective pool of water or a well is a form of scrying. So there's another fun word for you. So yeah. Oh, shoot. How could I forget? Okay. Honestly, I know I'm going to be way too lazy to edit this. So I'm just going to put it in now. But I do have one more story behind the potential influence of Bloody Mary. And this is, I feel like this is the most plausible in terms of like, not who, not who inspired Bloody Mary, but like the backstory to an urban legend like the the total breadth of the urban legend of bloody mary before the ritual ever existed so this is not based on a real person this is just like an extension of probably the what is the original urban legend but this is from let's see this is from john hopkins (laughs) this is from the john hopkins middle school times j hop times and the story is titled this the article is titled the story of bloody mary by thayer timon and in it he tells the story of uh, he tells the uh, potential backstory of bloody mary okay here we go and i'm gonna try to read this spooky again i'm not very good at that but i'll try my best in the 1800s there lived a young girl named mary An illness washed over the place where they lived, making people drop dead after a short period of time. When physicians couldn't find a pulse, or when they put a mirror under the nose of the seemingly dead, there might not always be condensation on it from their breaths. So the fallen would be easily assumed to be dead. But were they? This is kind of cool because this is actually a huge callback to our Spooktober special last year in Harini's episode Saved by the Bell about people getting buried alive. So this is gonna that's gonna tie in a little bit here. Cases of people who were pronounced dead but weren't happened often. So when one would die, people would put a small hole in the coffin and put a piece of string through the hole that was attached to a bell. The bell would hang on a stick by the homes of the deceased and if they woke up they would simply pull the string ring the bell, and would be dug up. Of course, when Mary was bedridden and slowly died, she was laid in a coffin in her grave. Okay, real quick disclaimer, there are typos in this story, and it is kind of hard to read um, consistently, so if you hear me waver, that's what it is. Okay, and I went back to it. She wasn't to be buried under just yet. It would be easier to unnail the coffin she was put away in. The string and the bell was, of course, on hand. Days passed, then weeks. Her parents never left the house wishing with their very being that their sweet Mary would awaken again. Friends of the parents claimed that if she had not awoken yet, then she never would. That day, the parents left the house with their friends at their behalf. So basically, the parents' friends were like, listen, your dead daughter's dead. Give up hope. Move on. So they they did. So the parents left left the house, left Mary. When her parents had gone, a neighbor came and began to fill in her grave, string and all. Just in case she would wake up, the string was buried with her in case there was, you know, the off chance that she would wake up after she was buried. The neighbor had said his remorse and walked to his home. Not soon after, Mary awoke from her slumber she pulled the string, the string to the bell that wouldn't be heard from her parents who were out and the neighbor who was too far away. She pulled and pulled the string until the bell fell and so did the stick. She began clawing and scratching at her wooden prison 
until her fingers bled, and she kept scratching until she breathed her last breath. When her parents arrived home, the father soon realized that the bell was yards away from where it originally was, and soon called for his wife to come and help him dig Mary up. When dug through, they unlatched the coffin and found Mary in a petrified state, her hands like claws, covered in blood, same with her white dress she was buried in. They put a mirror under her nose to see if her breathing would show. Condensation was shown on the mirror, but even so, she was dead. Her spirit is said to have attached to the mirror. And now, whenever someone calls Bloody Mary three times, she's there and claws at her victim. And that's the story of Bloody Mary. Or at least one possible backstory of where the Bloody Mary spirit comes from. And I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Okay, so in a wrap-up, the last thing I wanted to do was read from that one article that I referenced earlier about Bloody Mary being a euphemism for women getting their periods. (laughs) But what I wanted to read from it was the testimonials that some young woman gave as part of this research paper and and how they remember playing Bloody Mary when they were growing up. So as a reminder, this paper itself was um, published in 1998, but these interviews are of women who grew up in the 70s. I think that's I think that's right. So yeah, and the reason why I wanted to share these is because I just wanted to demonstrate how similar the urban legend is across these testimonies. There are some variations, of course. Some of them are a little bit more detailed in instruction. Some of them are very simple. There are some things that made me laugh and hopefully make you laugh, but I'm just going to read them one by one. And I would like to make a quick comment that the like almost all of these interviews are from young women who grew up in California. So I know the author obviously is, he's a professor. I, I Sorry, I keep saying professor. I have no proof that he's a professor, but I know that the article was published through UC Berkeley. So it makes sense that these interviews were done in California. But I think that's still noteworthy because I think it it shows that due to geography and proximity, the the herb, the way the urban legend is told is similar across the board. Anyway, except for this very first one. This first one is from someone who um, grew up in Louisiana. So we'll start with her. Okay, this is what she says. During recess at school, you go into the girls' bathroom. Your friends wait outside because only one person is allowed in at a time. One girl stands at the door to turn out the lights once you're positioned in front of the mirror. Once the lights are out, you close your eyes and you turn around three times. Then you open them and stare straight into the mirror and chant, Bloody Mary, show your fright, show your fright this starry night. I don't know why I read that in a whispery, spooky voice because that chant actually sounds quite pleasant, especially if it's uh, referencing on a starry night. That sounds nice. So probably read that wrong, but whatever. Anyways, you have to chant slowly so she has time to come from the spirit world. Then you wait to see her face. Once you see her, you have to run out of the bathroom where your friends are waiting. If you've sinned or done anything evil in your life, then you will have three scratches of blood on your cheek. And this woman learned Bloody Mary in third grade in 1983. And that's that's interesting to me only because almost all of how she detailed it is how I recall my very first experience that I talked about at the very beginning of this episode of doing Bloody Mary in the bathroom. Like word for word, it's the same, except for the sitting part. There is no concept of like, oh, if you're a sinner, then you're going to see Bloody Mary in the mirror. That was not part of it for me. And the show your fright, the starry night, like the rhyming aspect was not part of it for me either. But other than that, like it is neat to see that someone a couple decades before you. Oh, I'm sorry. I I can do math. Someone just a decade before me had a very similar experience. Um, okay, here's the next testimony or interview. A bunch of us young girls went into the bathroom to call Bloody Mary. 
we turned off the lights, turned around five times, chanting Bloody Mary over and over, then stopped quickly and looked in the mirror. We were supposed to look for a headless female in a white gown with a bloody knife in one hand and her head in the other. So this one's a little different. I don't ever recall Bloody Mary being described as headless with a knife. I was always under the impression that she would be like a woman in the mirror with like a very scratched up bloody face. And this one's also different because they did it five times. I actually saw in another article different variations of spinning 13 times or chanting her name 13 times. And one was even like, you have to say her name 47 times. And I'm like, dude, if you are spinning 47 times, then for sure you're going to hallucinate and see something in a dimly lit room after spinning so much. Um, So anyways, okay, here's one. When I was in grade school, about fifth grade, I would go into the girls' bathroom at St. Thomas Aquinas School in Monterey Park, California, hey, hey, with two or three of my friends to see Bloody Mary. We turned off the lights, approached the four-foot-wide mirror, love how she's specific about that, and sprinkled water on the mirror. Makes sense because they're they're at a Catholic school. After the sprinkling, we chanted Bloody Mary three times in hopes of seeing her in the mirror. Then we flushed all of the toilets in the stalls and ran out of the bathroom. Bloody Mary's mark would appear later on in the day through bleeding. For example, after I had completed the Bloody Mary ritual, I went to play Frisbee during recess. In trying to catch the Frisbee, I jammed my index finger, causing it to bleed. All of the girls who had done the Bloody Mary ritual with me attributed the bleeding to Bloody Mary. I find that one hilarious because suddenly (laughs) flushing a toilet (laughs) is involved. And um, yeah, I don't know why the toilet gets involved. That's interesting. I'll I'll read one more. Okay. This one's long, the longest, but it's the last one. When I was in the third, fourth, and fifth grades, many of the girls celebrated their birthdays, turning ages 9, 10, or 11, with a slumber party. I remember the game being played a few different ways. The idea was that you go into the bathroom alone and the light would be off, or there would be a candle or flashlight so that it would be barely visible in the bathroom. Then you were supposed to chant, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, as you look in the mirror. After you see Bloody Mary, after you say Bloody Mary three times, there are a couple of things that could happen. One, an image of a woman covered with blood would appear in the mirror. Two, you see your own reflection in the mirror, but the mirror would soon be covered with blood, so that if it looked like you were covered, so that it looked like you were covered in blood. At this point, the girls would either run out of the bathroom screaming or at some parties, I remember the girls had to flush the toilet before they could come out. I think the toilet flushing was supposed to make the image go away, but no one ever stayed in the bathroom long enough to see anything disappear. As soon as they pushed the toilet lever, they would run out scared and screaming. The other version of Bloody Mary I remember goes like this. You say Bloody Mary three times in a dark bathroom, but this time instead of looking at a mirror, you look at the toilet. After you finished the chant, the toilet water was supposed to turn red or bloody, and then you had to flush the toilet in order to come out. Or after the chant, you flush the toilet, and as the toilet is flushing, the water turns red. So yeah, so that's like a fun sampling of different uh, experiences of playing Bloody Mary. And obviously from these interviews, I can understand why this author is trying to make the argument that Bloody Mary is a euphemism for young girls getting their period or learning about their period. But I still think it's a reach. I mean, I get it. But uh, yeah. So I'll let you guys decide. I'll let you guys decide. Um, so yeah. So that's that's pretty much the story of Bloody Mary. Uh, I think it is worth mentioning that in Japan, they have their own version of Bloody Mary that is very much uh, like explicitly bound to the bathroom and on a like in some some variations of this own urban legend to the toilet but um some of you might have heard of this already it is this the urban legend of hanako-san or toire no hanako-san i hope i didn't butcher that i tried my best which means hanako of the toilet and according to legend hanako-san is the spirit of a young girl who haunts school toilets and can be described as a yokai or yure which are types of japanese types of Japanese spirits, or supernatural entities. The details of her physical appearance vary across different sources, but she is commonly described as having a bobbed haircut and as wearing a red skirt or dress. 
FYI, I am reading this directly from Wikipedia. So if you go and look up Hanako-san and you read the Wikipedia article and you're like, Megan read this word for word, I did, I am admitting it now. The details of Hanako-san's origins also vary depending on the account. In some versions, Hanako-san was a child who was murdered by a stranger or an abusive parent in a school toilet. In other versions, she was a girl who committed suicide in a school toilet. In still other versions, she was a child who lived during World War II and who was killed in an air raid while hiding in a school toilet during a game of hide-and-seek. To summon Hanako-san, it is often said that individuals must enter a girl's toilet, usually on the third floor of a school, knock three times on the third stall, and ask if Hanako-san is present. If she is there, she will reply with some variation of, Yes, I am. Depending on the story, the individual may then witness the appearance of a bloody or ghostly hand. The hand, or Hanako-san herself, may pull the individual into the toilet, which may lead to hell. Or, and this is kind of like a very interesting variation of the story, or the individual who knocks on the stall may be eaten by a three-headed lizard who claims that the individual was invading Hanako-san's privacy. And I kind of, I can kind of see that as like a cool um, horror video game, almost like how Bioshock, there's that creepy little girl, but she has her um, big bionic machine buddy that, that like protects her. In this case, like it's a three-headed lizard that protects the Hanako-san ghost. So I I think that's kind of cool. But yeah, and, and it's said that this urban legend might actually predate our Bloody Mary. And if that's the case, then we might actually have a timeline as to when Bloody Mary came around because it's believed that the story of Hanako-san goes back to the 1950s. So yeah, maybe that's a possible timeline that we can connect to. When did the story of Bloody Mary start? So that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that. I hope it brought back wonderful childhood memories. I hope that you have a little shiver down your spine thinking of Bloody Mary. I hope that some of you go and try to summon her and do the ritual. I, in honor of our final Spooktober episode of this year, I am going to go and try to summon Bloody Mary. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that I'm going to try to summon Bloody Mary. I'm saying that I am going to do the ritual and hopefully I do not summon anything. I don't believe that I will summon anything, but I also want to state it to the universe that I am not doing this in arrogance. I am just doing it for science and I'm going to record it. And I hope you guys enjoy listening to me freaking out in the bathroom. Okay. So I'm in my bathroom. Lights are fully on right now. Um, I'm just prepping, setting up. I have my camera and computer screen facing me in the mirror. God, I am nervous. And I'm going to light these candles. Okay, I'm going to light two full candles because... I don't know. I just, uh, it doesn't hurt to have a little bit of light, right? Like, just a little bit of light. Okay. Now, I have no idea which is the correct way to summon her. Um, but I'm just going to do what I was told when I was a kiddo. So I'm going to do the turn three times, say her name three times, and then look in the mirror. Okay. Here we go. Lights are going off. Ugh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Hold on. I need a moment. I'm making myself scared, guys. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. No. if It's like a bad trip. If you believe it's going to be a bad trip, it'll be a bad trip. I'm here to just see if it's a thing. I'm here to see if... Dimly lit hallucinations can happen. That's all this is. I'm not questioning her existence. If she is real, therefore let it be. She is real and I respect that. Okay, let's do this. I'm going to get all twisted up in my uh, cords because I'm going to keep you guys with me. Okay, lights are going off. Okay, here we go. Oh my god, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. (laughs) 
I just looked into my laptop screens. Like, so it's like my laptop's showing the reflection of the mirror. And that to me is more scary than me actually looking in the mirror. I need to text Harini to see if she can join me. <laughs> Wait, no, that's not right. That's not authentic. You got to do it alone. Okay, everybody. Okay, this is it. I'm just going to do it. Okay. Bloody Mary. Bloody. Oh, I'm getting caught up. Okay, I'm just going to do it solo without the mic. Bloody Mary, bloody. Bloody Mary, bloody Mary, bloody Mary. Okay, that's it. I did it, and nothing happened. I'm still scared. But here are things that I observed within myself. Um, I might just be super dehydrated because spinning literally just three times made me kind of (laughs) dizzy. But I do think that physiologically that can tie into the science aspect of like people getting hallucinations with like the dark, like dimly lit room in the dark, dimly lit room with candles flickering. Um, because with the candles in very minimal light, my reflection, it doesn't look distorted, but like the shadows definitely distort things. Like my reflection looked, um, naturally menacing, you know what I mean? But like, it just looks, there's a, I mean, not really menacing, but I can see how the shadows and the, the light distortion makes things kind of finicky. And then adding the turning does make you dizzy. So your brain might have stimulus of like your eyes darting different areas and your balance might be a little bit off so that your your reflection could actually probably distort in the most extreme cases. So I did it. That was me trying to summon Bloody Mary. And that is the final Spooktober episode we have for you guys. Um, we hope you enjoyed this series. We love Halloween and we hope that um, if, even if you're not a Halloween person, you enjoyed our topics as well. All right, Poison Pals. Have a safe Hallow's Eve and a safe Halloween. Technically, it's not a work day, um, but, you know, kudos to you if you dress up in costume to your work. That's, that's a lot of bravery. And uh, everyone will totally think you're cool. I would. Okay, bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.